Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Creeping It Real with me Morgan. Um, I hope you've had a lovely week. Um, I am coming to you a day later because I had such a busy week. I said that way too quick. I had such a busy weekend that um, I didn't have a chance to record over the over the weekend. So I am now recording it on the Monday. Um, so yeah, I hope you've all had a lovely week. Um, and it is officially September, which means it is now officially spooky season. Um, even though it's been spooky season all year round for me. Um, but yeah, anyway, in today's episode, um, there's a mixture of stories I'm going to share with you. Um, no real connections between any of them they're all just randomly picked from different things um so yes so without further ado i shall start with some spooky stories for you um the first story i'm going to share it it comes from the book which was written by alan tigwell and it's called ghosts in the garden in england alan has very kindly sent me the whole manuscript of his book um so i can share any stories with you um i think i have already shared one story in episode two I believe it was um but yeah I'm just gonna drop them in every now and again because there's so many cool ones in there that I want to share um so yeah thanks Alan um this one I've chosen it's not exactly about ghosts but it's a bit creepy and it's about it's kind of on a subject of something I want to discuss so the first story is about Blackhurst Lane in Tunbridge Wells and this story happened to someone called Gordon T um so the story reads A couple of years ago, I was in a relationship with a girl, and as we both lived with our parents, we found it hard getting time together alone. Getting time together with no one else around would usually involve driving somewhere and parking up, or going to the pub somewhere out of the way. One night, we had parked up in a lane in Tunbridge Wells, just outside of the town. The lane itself leads to nowhere, and if you go all the way to the end, it just abruptly abruptly stops and has been blocked off. At some point in the distant past, it obviously led somewhere. I think it may have been closed when A21 was built. It's quite a dark road. The streetlights are few and far between, and the further you drive down it, the darker it gets. When we stopped here, it was the beginning of December, and the winter night had drawn in early. But due to the lack of clouds in the sky, the road was illuminated by the moon and its eerie glow. We were just chatting in the car and enjoying each other's company. The interior was illuminated by the glow of the radio and the dashboard. Although it was a cold night, we had the windows open a little bit to prevent them from steaming up. <laughs> In brackets it says, not that we were doing anything like that. Um, <laughs> so I was driving, I was in the driving seat and Amy was in the passenger seat and we were sat facing each other with our backs to the car doors. The car itself was parked on the right hand side of the road and there was a parking or passing spot in the lane. So basically facing oncoming traffic. Not that there was any, but the lane where we parked has a field on the side, on the left-hand side, and woods on the right. Above the sound of the radio, we could hear the creaking trees and the blowing of the wind through the branches and whatever leaves remained on the trees. So at this point, it was just noise you would normally expect to hear when you were parked next to some woods. After we'd been there for a while, from from behind me, deep in the woods, I could just make out some noises that were out of place. It started with distant crunching of leaves. By this time of year, the trees had mostly shed their leaves and whatever else was left. So, um, As it hadn't rained for a while, the leaves would dry and would crunch and break apart when you walked on them. There's something creepy about that noise anyway, isn't it? Like the crunchy leaves, like quite like that. Um, sorry, yeah, I, I go back, go back. 
this was the sound that I was starting to hear, a crunch, crunch noise, which sounded like someone walking around in the woods, treading on dried leaves. It seemed as though it was a distance away, but it was still quite distinctive. I looked over my shoulder into the woods and I couldn't see anything when I looked back. Amy was looking as well, so she'd obviously heard the noise too. We sat there for a while listening when Amy broke the silence by saying, it sounds like an animal walking around out there. I agreed and said, it's probably a badger or a fox. Would you like to stay or shall we make a move? Amy wanted to stay, so we continued listening and making suggestions of what the animal could be. After a couple of minutes, the noises seemed to be getting closer. We looked out the window again to see if we could see anything in the dark woods. All of a sudden, Amy looked startled and whispered, Look over there by that big tree. I think I saw something move. I looked over and to start with, I couldn't see anything because the moonlight didn't permeate into that woods very well. Due to the dashboard lights, my eyes hadn't adjusted well to the darkness, so I switched off the car completely, closed my eyes for a minute to get them accustomed to the complete darkness, and looked into the woods in the direction of the big oak tree. At first, all I could see was grey tree trunks and shadows jumping about from, from where the trees were swaying, and that was pretty much it. The crunching noises had stopped, and I was starting to think that it was nothing other than our own acti- overactive imaginations. Then a shape moved away from the oak tree, completely black, darker than the blackness of the wood. It moved around the tree and behind another. The crunching sounds had started again, somewhat faster this time, but also accompanied what sounded like an echo of wood hitting wood. Based on the sounds and the direction the shape had moved, it was clear whatever the thing was, it was heading towards the lane somewhere in front of the car. Although the combination of moonlight, darkness, shape, Shapes moving about and the strange noises spooked us. We both agreed it was probably a deer. The shape was definitely larger than a badger and certainly not a fox. We sat in silence as we saw about 100 yards up the lane. The thing stepped out onto the tarmac with a clip-clop. Sounded very much like horses' hooves would. It definitely wasn't a deer. I would describe it as a beast. And although it was dark, we got a good look thanks to the moonlight. It was upright on its hind legs... On its, on its hind legs, sorry. I didn't get a very good look at his feet, so I can't say what caused the clip-clock noise. Its legs were skinny and it was hunched over. It seemed to have a large hunch around his shoulders. The chest was huge and tapered down in a very skinny waist. It wasn't a human face, it was more like a dog with what I thought were large ears sticking upright. It didn't have a tail I could see, and it seemed to have some sort of fur over its body. It started to cross the lane to enter the field to the other side, but about halfway across it came to a stop and slowly turned its head to face us. I don't know whether it was the visual remnants of looking at the lights on the dashboard, but I swear to God its eyes burned red. It sounds ridiculous, like something you'd see in a horror movie, but Amy and I both saw it. It stood there looking at us whilst, and we sat in the car looking back into what could only be described as a vision from hell. Its mouth opened, what I believe was a grin with that, and it turned its head and continued across the lane and over into the field i didn't hang about as soon as i was as soon as it was out of sight i started the car and floored up the lane i think we all would do that (laughs) amy was in tears and took some time to calm down i was shaken i think we were both in shock of what we'd saw we never told anyone else this story i've always thought it sounded too crazy for anyone to believe us but there's been some other stories in the news of weird creatures being spotted in tembridge wells and surrounding areas so maybe my story isn't far-fetched at all so uh, that story, 
brings me on to the idea of things like Bigfoot. Um, just going back to this story really quick now. I love the idea that they say that it's a beast because they don't know what it is. Um, and um, it kind of makes you think, are werewolves real? Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's a lot of things about werewolves on the internet, which you can read about sightings of werewolves and things. Um, so what do we think it is? Was it a werewolf? Is it Bigfoot? Um, or is it just a hairy human who was wandering the, the woods at that time of night? Um, but yeah, there's there's um, a lot of information online about um, cryptids, Bigfoot, and beast-like animals. So if this is something that you think we should delve into, then let me know, because that would be cool. Because like I said, as much as I love all the ghost stories, there's so many genres of paranormal things, because not everything paranormal is just ghosts. You've got UFOs, you've got ghosts, we've got cryptids, we've got so many genres that we could delve into. So let me know. And if you have any stories yourself about weird creatures you've seen um if you've ever seen mr tumnus from narnia let me know because um, that would be great um but yeah that is our first spooky story of the of the episode um so again for the next story um i've also taken this one out of alan's book because i couldn't decide which one to put in the episode so i decided you know what i'm just gonna put two in so it this story um is from it's about which I can't, I'm going to pronounce this completely wrong now. Weardale Manor on Toy Hills Road, Brasted Chart. This story comes from Jean S. And it starts. My story is, is of an experience I had while on a ghost hunt in Weardale Manor. The manor is now a ruin. You can only see the foundations of what was once the house. Close to this, there is a large memorial stone. The land where it is located on Toys Hill which is mostly woodland and managed by the National Trust. The area is recommended as a circular walk which links to two other National Parks properties in the area, Emnet's Garden and Chartwell. The previous day I visited the area just so I'd be prepared and I could get my bearings on the next time on the nighttime ghost hunt. The only thing out of the ordinary that I experienced during the day was in the corner of the ruin, someone had put a dream catcher in one of the old trees. I tried to take a picture of it using my smartphone, but every picture I took came out with a weird glitch, such as a rainbow effect, digital errors, or the picture itself stretched so much that it was unrecognisable. It was the only time the camera in the phone had ever taken pictures like this. When I returned the following, following day for the ghost tent, I was met by around 10 people and we were led into the darkness to the same spot I'd found the day before. We were given some equipment and after a short explanation we were told to wander the grounds of the ruin to see if we could communicate with the spirits. Most people had come as a couple and they went off in different directions. As I came on my own I was left to wander alone. There were no lights in the ruin or in the woods and we were out in the country so it was dark. Really doesn't do it justice. We each had a torch with us so we were reliant on the light that they gave. After a while, something caught the corner of my eye in the lower section of the ruin. I walked down the steps and over the right-hand corner, which would have previously been a room. There was a footpath that led into the woods, and weeds and nettles and brambles had made it look like a circular hole into the darkness. I saw movement again, and I spotted a rabbit running away and into the woods. From behind me, I distinctly felt someone as if they had put their hand on my left shoulder. Not expecting someone to do that, I was startled for a moment. I turned around to see what the person wanted, but there wasn't anyone there. 
All the rest of the group were in the upper section of the ruin, away from where I was standing. Shocked, it took a moment to collect my thoughts and stop myself from shaking. I went up to the team leader and explained what happened to me. He called the group over and recounted a story of his own, which was almost identical. It turns out, in the same spot, he had also had someone touch his shoulder, but like my experience, when he turned around, there was no one there. The conversation continued until someone else in the group raised their torch and illuminated the large memorial stone. Both that person and their partner whispered look and pointed it over in the direction of their torch beam. We all looked around and although there was movement in the trees, we could see nothing. The couple explained that they'd seen something move on the stone and when they shone their torch onto it, saw a dark, sorry, saw a dark shadowy person climbing on top of the stone who disappeared shortly after being illuminated by the beam. We all rushed over to the area and shone our torches into the woods, but could see nothing. So that one's only a little short story, guys, about a ghost hunt, but as I touched on my own ghost hunt last week, um, and again, I only wanted to mention this story as well, because this is something I want to look at doing. Um, there's so many groups online now that you can join, paranormal investigation groups and things that you can go on ghost hunts with, and... Um, all around the UK, anywhere that you've, any stories you've heard about haunted places, you can go to on ghost hunts. Um, so if anybody that does listen has any, has any experience with any of these or does any of these themselves, get in touch with me because I'd love to come and do them. Um, because then I can talk about them on here, which I think would be really cool. Um, but yes, back to this story. What do they see on that gravestone? Could it have been a spirit or was it just a reflection of their light? Um, and as for being touched on the shoulder, that is a bit weird that that's happened to two people. So again, I do believe that that's a genuine ghost story. Um, and yeah, I think that's definitely a ghost story actually. Um, moving on. So the next, the next one, um, we're getting through these thick and fast in this episode, don't we? Um, the next story actually comes from my favorite place, which you'll all know because I use it in every episode and it comes from boardpanda.com. If I'm completely honest with you, eventually I'm going to run out of creepy stories from boardpanda.com because there isn't a lot on there. Um, but I have another one. Um, so yeah, the story is called The Cell Phone and it's just a short one and it, it reads, a couple of months ago, my friend's cousin, in brackets, a single mother, bought a new cell phone. After a long day of work, she came home, placed her phone on the counter and went to watch TV. Her son came to her and asked if, she could pl- if he could play with her new phone. She told him not to call anyone or mess with text messages and he agreed. At around 11.20, she was drowsy so she decided to tuck her son in and go to bed. She walked into his room and saw that he wasn't there. She, ran o- that- she then ran over to her room to find him sleeping on her bed with the phone in his hand. Relieved, she picked up the phone picked her phone back up from his hand to inspect it. Browsing through it, only noticed minor changes such as a new background, banner, etc. But then she opened her saved pictures. Began deleting pictures he had taken until only one new one remained. When she, forced, when she first saw it, she was in disbelief. It was a picture of her son sleeping on her bed, but the picture was taken by someone else above him, and it showed the left half of an elderly woman's face. Oh, I absolutely love this. This is such a good one because there's no way he could have taken that picture himself, is there? Other than if he had taped it to the ceiling maybe and put a timer on and did it and then edited the woman's face into it. But again, I mean, how old was her son? Um, 
I don't think it actually said, did it? Would he know how to do that? Is what I'm saying if he's young enough. So no, we will keep this story as a genuine. Um, but nevertheless, creepy, the elderly woman. It could have just been a family member, like an, a relative that has passed away that wanted to come and say hi and take a selfie maybe. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think about that. Um, creepy nevertheless, isn't it? Um, okay, so again, because I spoke about the um, ghost hunts earlier, I want to talk to you about somewhere where I really would love to go. Um, I've never actually been there myself, but I'd love to go here, especially on a ghost hunt. Um, and the place I'm going to talk about is a really cool place, actually, and it's called the Jamaica Inn, which is a which is in Cornwall. Um, so I've got a little bit of like about the inn for you, and then I've some details that I'm going to share. Um, but I definitely plan on going here at some point. Um, so the Jamaica Inn is in Bodmin Moor which is in Cornwall, it has a mysterious history. It may just be one of the most haunted locations in England. Since its construction in 1750, the inn started as a coaching inn. It provided a resting place for weary travels using the, high, using the highway between Launceston and Bodmin. And it's a good thing too, since most travellers needed a respite after crossing the harsh and treacherous moor. It's a famous smuggling inn. During its time as a coaching inn, it attracted some less than respectful Cornish smugglers who used it as a hiding place for smuggled contraband. Around this time, smuggling was rife along the Cornish and Devon coasts. Estimates show that half of the brandy and quarter of all the tea smuggled into the UK landed here. Whoa. In 1778, the Jamaica Inn underwent drastic renovations, adding a coach house, stables and a tack room. This extension changed the layout of the inn to an L shape, which matches the design today. Over the years, the building became England's most famous smuggling inn. People referred to it as Haven for Smugglers. The inn gained further notoriety when Daphne du Maurier published her novel of the same name in 1936. Demora was inspired to write her book after getting lost in the fog and the moors before finding her way to the Jamaica Inn. During her stay, the local rector spent the night into entertaining her. The entertainment included ghost stories and tales of smugglers which sparked the idea, and the rest is, as they say, history. The novel eventually got adapted into a film by Alfred Hitchcock in 1939, and it went on to become a TV film in 1983. The BBC even released a three-part miniseries based on the famous novel which aired around April 2014. This is something I haven't watched, but I plan to watch now because I'm very excited to get into the history of the inn. Um, I'm pretty sure I've driven past it. as When we were younger, we used to go to Cornwall. I'm pretty sure we drove past it. And I might, to be honest, I might have even been in there while I, when I was really young because I know my family have been there. Um, but I don't have any recollection of actually being in there. So that's why I want to go back if I have been. So what's the Jamaica Inn like today? Today, the Jamaica Inn stands as a popular destination for tourists and travellers. It has a bar and dining room, a hotel, a gift shop and a farm shop. But one of the favourite attractions is the Smugglers Museum. With the collection of the smuggling artefacts, you can learn about the sordid activities that used to take place at the old coaching hotel. If you're planning a stay here, grab a drink at the pub and book a room for an overnight stay. You'll love the eerie atmosphere and may even be lucky enough to have a personal encounter with one of the inn's resident ghosts. So, what are the hauntings at the Jamaica Inn? The Jamaica Inn is renowned for its paranormal activity and is given an exciting history. It doesn't seem 
too far-fetched that stories of ghostly apparitions and other supernatural phenomena... I always struggle on that word. Phenomena have a hint to truth to them. Sadly, there's hardly any proof of these claims. No pictures or evidence of ghosts have surfaced. Well, not yet, anyway. If you're lucky, you could be the first amateur ghost hunter to gather evidence the paranormal community needs to solidify, solidify the inn's title as one of the spookiest locations in the UK. So if you take some high-quality ghost hunting equipment with you, or you may or you may miss your shot. So, again, just really quickly, a side note, if there are any paranormal investigators listening to this, and you have any proof, please send it in, because I'd love to share it now that I know that not many people have. Um, also, if you are a paranormal investigator, what investigation tools or equipment, I should say... Um, would you recommend? Because I would love to do stuff like this. I would love to go out and do some ghost hunting. Um, but I'm a very amateur. I wouldn't know where to start with where it comes to equipment and stuff. Um, so yeah, get in touch if you have any um, tips and tricks on that. So the haunted horse story is one of the most commonly reported ghostly occurrences at the inn and is the sound of horses' hooves and carriage wheels in the courtyard. But when guests, guests and staff pluck up the courage to peep outside, there's never a source of these disembodied sounds. And this leaves them confused and more than a little freaked out. There's the unsolved murder story, which legends surrounding the inn include one about a murder that is said to have taken place more than 100 years ago. The legend says a mysterious man was once nursing his drink at the inn's bar before being called outside by an unknown voice. Other patrons at the bar watched him leave and never come back. Nothing indicated that he was ever there, but his drink was resting on the bar's counter. The man's lifeless body was on the moor the following day, but of course, his killer had disappeared. He left everyone at the inn wondering who the murderer was and who the strange man could be. In 1911, the man who resembled the murdered stranger often got spotted sitting on the wall outside the inn, but no matter how many guests greeted or tried to interact with him, he would never move or reply to any of their greetings. This strange event eventually raised questions about the identity of the man and whether he could have been the dead man from the unrelenting mall. To this day, guests have claimed to hear footsteps up and down the inn's corridors or outside the passage to the bar. Many of them believe that it's the spirit of the murdered man returning to finish his drink. Love it. Um, I this are, these are my favourite stories actually when they come from so many years ago because not and like nowadays stories are, are like more adapt I, I know but I feel like the back then people had nothing to gain from I think like if you said you'd seen a ghost you'd get called crazy back then so not many people would share their ghost stories so when you do get a good one you think it has to be true right no one would risk being called insane um and lie about a ghost story. And that's why these are my favourite ones ever. Uh, there's other mac macrobi Am I saying that right? Macrobi tales? Macabre? That sounds more like it, doesn't it? Macabre. Other mac macabre tales. <laughs> Another of the inn's ghosts includes a mysterious cloaked figure who is said to appear suddenly and vanish just as quickly through closed doors and solid walls. Managers of the inn's Managers of the inn have even reported hearing disembodied conversations in a foreign language. Some have speculated it to be the old Cornish language. The Jamaica Inn has several areas that seem teething with paranormal activity. The Smuggler's Bar, which is now the Smuggler's Museum, 
The old bedrooms upstairs and the back of the restaurant and gift shop area have all been noted as some of the most active areas by paranormal enthusiasts. So, what do we think? Have you any personal stories of the Jamaica Inn? Um, I would love to hear it because this I think this is one of my focuses at the minute. I'd like to do some good research into the inn. Um, that's why I wanted to mention it in today's episode. Um, so yeah, you can actually do paranormal investigations um, at the inn and I, you can just Google it and there's uh, there's a few different groups that do it. Um, I think they're all around the same price. They, they range from around £30 up to about 65 I think. It depends on what group you go with. Um, but yeah, let me know if you have any experiences on that. But yes, okay, so... I've just rambled about loads of rubbish today, really, haven't I? Um, so for the final part of today's podcast, I'm going to tell you a short Reddit story. Um, and it's a, it's a spooky one. Um, well, a weird one more than spooky, but it's still, nonetheless, it's spooky. Um, but again, because this is Reddit, guys, I'm not claiming that this is a real story. But I shall tell you it anyway. So the story is called Room 201. And it starts... I'm a night auditor at a cheap motel in Northern California. To put it mildly, it's not the nicest place, but we still do a booming business catering and catering to hookers and drug dealers. Lots of interesting characters walk through his doors, but the one I remember best was a gentleman named John Smith. He walked in around 10 on a Friday night, carrying no luggage, dressed in a grey business suit and a matching tie. At first, I thought he was a detective. Those were the only people who come to the motel in suits. But he produced no badge as he walked stiffly, robotically almost, to the front desk. His face and hands were pale, almost pure white. I thought he might be an albino, but his eyes were dark black. How can I help you, sir? I asked. I would like room 201 for tonight only, madam, he said, his voice completely flat. May I see some ID? I have no idea why he requested room 201. It was the exact same layout as all the other rooms. He handed me an Oregon license named John Smith. In the photo, he wore the same suit he had on now. Had a feeling it was fake, but I scrutinised all the guests who came in. We'd be out of business. Oh, sorry. But if I scrutinised all the guests who came in, we'd be out of business. That'll be £72.13 plus a £200 deposit. He paid in cash. And he and he went up to his room. And then it's got dot, 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 which means later on in the story, <laughs> the girl who was supposed to cover my shift in the morning called in six, so I was working a double shift. Mr. Smith hadn't checked out by 11, so I went up to check on him. I knocked, and there was no answer, so I let myself in. He was lying on the bed, his eyes closed, still dressed in his suit. He hadn't even taken off his shoes. I called out to him, but he didn't stir. I approached him and felt his neck. Icy cold, no pulse, he was clearly dead. He wasn't the first, and I doubted he'd be the last. As I was returning to the front desk to call the cops, I felt something tug on my blouse. I turned and saw John Smith sitting up on his bed, his face expressionless, his right hand grasping my shirt. My blouse tore as I ran out of the room, down the stairs, out the emergency exit and into my car, where I called 911. As I was waiting for them to arrive, John Smith marched out the motel's front door, walking stiffly like a wooden soldier, heading for the forest behind the parking lot. The cops arrived ten minutes later. We reviewed the security tapes together. It seemed to be working fine, but whenever John Smith entered the frame, the footage turned to static. 
Tracking dogs were brought in but couldn't pick up any scent. There were hundreds of John Smiths in Oregon, but none of their photos matched the identity of the mystery man. Who was he and what did he want what he wanted with room 201 will always likely to be remained a mystery. Oh, love it. Um, yeah, there's actually a few stories of things like this. I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm not, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure the hotel that inspired um, Stephen Kill, King's um, The Shining, um, something like this happened at that hotel as well, I think. Um, but yeah, there's something a bit creepy about hotels, isn't there? Especially the long corridors. I think that's probably because of the Shining film. And you think you're going to see those creepy twins wandering the corridor. But anyway. Um, let me know what you thought about all the stories in today's episodes. I really want to interact more. Um, I have had some really great stories in. I actually had such an an awesome one in this morning. That I'm, I'm really excited to share in next week's episode. Um, but keep, please keep sending any stories you get in. Um, but yeah, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Um, I have been rambling now for nearly half an hour already. It goes so quick. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed this week's spooks. I'm really enjoying sharing all these spooky stories with you, honestly, guys. So I still need lots more of your personal stories. So if you have any stories, remember you can get in touch by Instagram, TikTok, or email. The email is creepingitrealwithmorgan at gmail.com. All the social media handles are under creepingitrealwithmorgan. So don't be shy. Get in touch, have a chat. I'm happy to have a chat about your stories. You can remain anonymous when I talk about them on the podcast. Um, one thing I'm actually really interested in doing is actually interviewing people with about their ghost stories. So if you would if you would like to feature on the podcast, if that's something you're interested in, um, get in touch. I'd love to have a little chat. Um, or you can send me a voice note, which I can insert into the episode somewhere if my skills allow me to do that. Um, and um, yeah. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, remember to stay spooky and always creep it real. Bye, guys.